Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Hello there and welcome to a look back at that first fantastic test match at England against India at Edgebaston. Edgebaston rules okay if you're an England fan because before the test England had a 54% win ratio in Birmingham, the best result they've had in any of the English grounds. It's their favourite home. It always has a, a buzz about it and I'm sure actually today, Simon, that buzz must have really lifted England when they needed those extra wickets to, to seal that exciting victory by 31 runs. The crowd were almost like a 12th man. Yeah, I'm really getting behind England. I noticed that yesterday actually you when know, I was commentating when England came out defending 194 to win that the crowd really got behind them. As the wickets were falling, I was commentating on uh, three or four of the wickets that fell. You just... When you listen back, just hear the crowd noise behind you. They're, they're, they're really urging England on, and the same today. And, of course, they got the benefit of that early wicket. That was what gave England some momentum. I think there must have been a few doubts when Coley and Pandya were together, and they got it towards you know, just 50 required, and then Stokes coming in and taking that wicket. Once Coley was out, you just sensed that was it. Yeah. Kartik, actually, as you say, was a key wicket because... Uh, for two reasons. I mean, one, it, it gave Jimmy Anderson reward for his endless perseverance, which uh, hasn't been due rewarded in, in the match. Only uh, a couple of wickets in each innings. It's incredible how well you can bowl and, and only get four wickets in the match. But also, it would have it would have just calmed down David Milan at second slip who took that catch because he's had a, a pretty difficult time in the slip court. And I counted up the other day that England have now dropped 77 catches in 26 tests. And when you have a bowler like Anderson, who is so so masterful at just plugging way outside off stump and, and just moving the ball a little bit, just enough to take the edge, if you don't have a reliable slip cordon, it, it really is, it makes him far less effective. And that would have been one of the reasons, I suppose, why he did only take four wickets in the Test match. Actually, if you look back at, say, Coley's history of, of dismissals in England, the last time he came here, seven of those were, were edges which were caught behind the wicket. And there actually were some really smart catches in that sequence which haven't really been replicated this time and ultimately of course Anderson couldn't get his man in either innings ironically but Coley was still the key wicket and in a way it was Ben Stokes who reinforced his incredible value to to England by always contributing some kind of vital wicket or turning point. I mean you're so right about that and there's He's obviously got the, the the court case hanging over him, and his place in the Lords Test match, you know, is, is under question. We don't know what's going to happen in the coming week, but he is a cricketer. It's very hard to to keep down. You know, his parting shot, if he isn't going to play at Lords, was the final wicket. He he finished it off, but actually, the wicket of Coley was the one that that opened it up for England, and he was the man today, four for forty. He's not had a great year, on and off the pitch. 
obviously. And, you know, he's not been in great form with the bat, but because he's got that other string to his bow, well, he's got actually two other strings to his bow as well because he's a brilliant fielder, but because he's got that other string to his bow, he was actually England's leading wicket-taker in the match, six for 113. I thought he bowled brilliantly in the, in the first innings as well. He tied towards the end of that India first innings when Kohli was playing really well. But he was the one that dragged England along today. And, you know, they missed him so badly in the Ashes series in the winter. Yeah, that, that, yeah, it was yeah, such a miss right. for them. Yeah, well, that's right. And when you look at captains, uh, obviously in the modern game, which is such a sort of intense spectacle, you want uh, a captain who's quite calm and, and reassuring and, and measured. And, and the captain needs that, that sort of inner fire from somebody else, in a way. You can't have a captain shouting and screaming and, and being the kind of driving force of a team, in a way, because that becomes a, a destabilising or an unst- you know, a sort of rather random uh, effect on the team. If the captain's up, then the team are up. And if the captain's down, the team are down. You don't want that. You want a, a captain being fairly equable. But what you do want is someone with the fire in their belly, a sort of warrior-type figure who can lead the troops into battle, if you like. And obviously England in the past have had people like Botham and there were sort of just shades of Botham's bowling at Edgebaston mm. in the way that, that Stokes took his wings here. And also uh, Flintoff, to a lesser extent, people like Peterson uh, in sort of more recent times. They are the warriors that the captain depends on and the one that was missing in the Ashes, of course, was, uh, was Ben Stokes. Fabulous all-round effort by England's bowlers. Man of the match was Curran, 5 for 92 and, and 87 runs, 20 years of age, second test match. I mean, he, he just looks such a, a promising crick, I mean, cricketer. He, I mean, he doesn't look as all fit. He's not a physically imposing cricketer. I mean, that's the, the, the remarkable thing about him. He looks, you know, about 15 years old. And he's 5 foot 9. And yet he's come up with two excellent test matches. He, he, he looks as if he's got a magnificent career ahead of him. And you wonder whether, you know, in five years' time, we'll be talking a lot more about his batting than his bowling. We've mentioned that before during his test match on this podcast, whether his batting will overtake his bowling. You can make quite big strides forward over, you know, over three, four years, uh, you know, in both disciplines. Uh, I mean, is that how you feel that his, his batting will, will become his stronger suit? I think it's a good question. And uh, not necessarily. I thought here that his bowling seemed to add something. It, it, it had a bit more confidence. It had a bit more pace. Clearly, the swing helped him. Actually, uh, I have to give a bit of credit to Gary Barwell, the Edgebaston groundsman and his team, because they managed to get the water onto the ground and obviously onto the square to enable the, the pitch to be one that actually did suit England for two reasons. One, there was just enough grass on it to make it seem a little bit off the surface. And two, of course, the, the lush outfield kept the shine on the ball. So the players were able to swing it really into the sort of 60th and 70th over and that's where India always do struggle I mean but Curran you know to hit his uh, six to go to his first ever test 50 over extra cover uh, off the, uh, the one of the quicker bowlers for India was a remarkable performance and I think also the fact that he contributed on all except the first day really by either uh, wickets or you know useful runs in fact I think he, he did get a few useful runs in the first innings too so mm. in v- virtually every day apart from the last day he did actually contribute something with either bat or ball and he, he has a, a good balance of skill and character I still think that you know for, for his bowling to be successful he needs it to swing but when he do- when it does swing he looks really quite dangerous mm. How do you think this sets up the series now? Vulnerabilities in both sides. I think we know that. They're, they're one or two players 
under pressure. England have got this this issue with their batting lineup. Jennings has just come back into the side, still feeling his way. Milan's averages seems to be dropping, and he, he's dropped a few catches as well. Though he caught a vital one today, and he must be feeling so much better about life after this day's play, taking that vital catch early on. Uh, you know, there there are some there are some issues there. India, though, clearly got one or two problems as well, or perhaps more than one or two problems. Their batting looks vulnerable against England's bowling in these type of conditions. Now, the, the question is, are we going to see these type of conditions in the rest of the series? I mean, that you mentioned the Warwickshire groundsman. I suppose that's the challenge to the other groundsmen as well, is to produce the conditions that England want. I mean, that's been happening quite a lot in, in, in recent years. But can you, can you fight nature? Can Lords fight nature? Because, you know, another belting weekend in London is just a question of, you know, can they actually get as much water on to replicate the, the conditions here at Edgbaston? Or are we going to see a, you know, a dry Lords pitch and the ball spinning? And, you know, that really brings, a, you know, another Indian spinner into the equation. Well, I, I think you've kind of answered your question, which is to say that England do need surfaces and, and situations and conditions like they've had at Edgbaston to prosper in this series. I don't think they're going to get that at Lords because the Lords drainage is so effective now that it doesn't matter how much water you put on it, it all runs away again. So I think it's likely to be, and though I haven't been to Lords this week, but it's likely to be a surface which will tend to deteriorate and be a bit more abrasive uh, than the one at Edgebaston. So that won't necessarily suit England uh, as well as it did at Edgebaston, although you know they have got players who can bowl reverse swing and so on as well. So it's not going to rule them out completely, but it certainly will bring spin, I think, into the equation a bit more. What I think England can do is they can certainly take heart from the fact that the Indian batsmen do look vulnerable to the ball moving still and are hugely dependent on Kohli, who's applied himself immensely, and still they haven't managed to, to win the match. So they need sort of serious contributions from from one or two other people in the top six, which they haven't really had so far. And from England's point of view, I think they must look at the seven left-handers and say that not only is that vulnerable to Ashwin bowling his off-spinners, especially with the the newish ball, but also... Uh, Ishant Sharma going round the wicket and the other bowlers, Shami as well, going round the wicket. I think that the trend now for faster bowlers to be happy going round the wicket to left-handers has really made a left-hander's life much harder. So England must look at uh, breaking up that that whole sort of glut of left-handers and think about one right-hander, whether that means Ollie Pope or somebody comes in for Ben Stokes because of the court case or whether he comes in for, for Milan, I don't know. But I would be looking to play a, another right-hander in that middle order. Yeah, well, it is a problem, of course, with, with Ashwin. Seven wickets in the match, lots of England left-handers. He was speaking afterwards and he said, actually, the ball is not spinning very much for me. I mean, goodness me, if it, if it does spin, then you might well have a... A field day. Anyway, he, he spoke afterwards. He, he spoke at the press conference after the game, and he you know, reflected on India's defeat, and, and yeah, actually talked about you know how they felt coming into the final day. When Virat and Dinesh walked out, I genuinely believed we had the aces in our hands, and uh, that wicket, the first blow, was uh, quite crucial. Like Virat keeps mentioning, uh, when you make runs or when you pick up wickets, uh, you want to make sure that it is uh, very. Uh, it is a sort of a killer blow and you want to end up on the winning side and that gives you more pleasure out of the game. Uh, when it doesn't happen, you do feel a little deflated about it. Um, but as I, as I told you before, this game was like a seesaw battle. There was enough in there for the for the quicks and it was doing quite a bit. So the bowlers are always in the game and you do expect batters to get a ball that has their name on it. So uh, with that sort of a 
uh, with that sort of a game uh, hedging on the balance i thought we did compete really well through the game um, like i told you there are a lot of things to be upbeat about so not completely feeling deflated well that's ravi chandran ashwin speaking at the press conference after the first test at, at edgbaston so not too deflated i mean you know four test matches to go and you know if this dry weather continues and you feel the spinners are really going to get in the game somewhere you expect them to get in in the game somewhere and of course the magnificent kohli as well you know there there are still reasons to hope for india especially as you know it is not a perfect england test match team but such an important victory for them i think you know when you consider that they were in winning positions really strong winning positions twice in the game 216 for three on the first day should have got 350 400 I think that would have been absolutely decisive and then 100 for five should have been 100 for seven with those drop catches if they'd been taken they were straightforward catches as well and that would have been game over as well I mean to, if they'd lost from that position I mean that would have been really tough to take and that you know they're a team that you know they have lost a few home test matches in the last two or three seasons and that would have been the I make it the ninth in the last four seasons which is a lot for home sides these days so so important for them and also I think a really significant morning for Joe Root because things that he tried came off not least bringing on Rashid for Ishant Sharma and Rashid quietly actually had quite an effective game he didn't do a great deal he only bowled 12 overs he took three wickets well if he, if he replicated that throughout his test match career that, that would be pretty good and he did get rid of Kohli in the first innings he did induce a mistake from Kohli in the first innings which you know when you think about it in the final analysis absolutely vital if Kohli had continued on that last wicket partnership and India got ahead 20 or 30 ahead as was possible then it you know would have been a very different game so yeah Rashid quietly did well and he in a Came on, wicket in his first over today, uh, England, with, with the review. So, uh, you know, the, the pick of Rashid does give you something a bit different and some useful runs as well, with a couple of useful partnerships uh, lower down. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you about Rashid. And I'm, I'm converted to him uh, after serious doubts. He's he slotted in really well, actually. Uh, I'm, obviously, he hasn't really bowled under massive pressure, but certainly the, the overs he's bowled so far and the effect he's had have been positive. I just think England have got to get their catching sorted. And why they don't have their two best catchers, who are Root and Stokes, in the slip corn, I don't understand. Root, I suppose, partly because he's captain and he wants to sort of relax at mid-off and take a more detached view. But England, one of their strengths is bowlers who induce the edge. Those edges have got to be caught. And they've got to have the best, they've got to have the best mm. slip catchers in the slip cordon. Yeah, well, Root afterwards said Milan is a fantastic slip fielder. Uh, you know, he was emphatic about that point. Um, so he, we'll, he would if say he, that, if he stays he? in the team. Well, I suppose he would, but I mean, he, that, that was his point. He said, you know, he's a, he's a magnificent slip catcher. So they, they obviously rate him. He, even Ian Botham, who was a, one of the, the best slip catchers I've ever seen, you know, he, he used to drop some from, from time to time. I suppose that's what Root was saying. You know, it's inevitable in the slip corner you're going to drop them. I suppose what's so glaring here was the fact they put down Coley on 21, or Milan put down Coley on 21, and it was as straightforward a slip catch as you could imagine. And, and Coley made England pay, not ultimately, but, I mean, he did quite significantly with 120 runs. Of course, it wasn't good enough to win the game. But, I mean, it felt like such a crucial moment. And you, know, you just wonder what Milan had been feeling about over the last couple of days. And it's great for him today, actually, that he was able to cling on to that one in the first over. Yeah, very much so. But you see, England had a slip cordon of Cook, Milan, and Jennings for the first over of the first innings. And then Jennings was replaced by Butler at third slip in the second over when England had a short leg mm. and Jennings went to short leg. So, 
you know, it's just they, they need they just need consistency and they need to stick with the same yeah. formula of, of players. But anyway, as a whole, what a fantastic test match. A shame it didn't kind of go on a bit longer, I suppose, but at least there was some fourth day's play. And it's interesting, isn't it? I, I went to the blast, the Vitality Blast match the night before uh, and saw Surrey Middlesex, uh, in which Surrey chasing 222 for victory were 170 for none after 12 overs and it was raining sixes and all the crowd were going ballistic partly because there was a thousand pounds on offer for every catch in the crowd but I'm sorry Mm. it didn't have the same uh, intensity the same excitement the same beguiling focus or just general tantalizing interest as this test match Mm. even though there were times in this test match where there were no runs scored it just drew you in uh, in, in in a way that you know the emotion of the players and the, the just the fine nuances of of the state of the game was so fascinating. Whereas you know seeing batsmen just smack the ball into the stands, you might as well watch people on a golf driving range than watch a cricket match. Really, yeah, well, a brilliant game of, of Test cricket. I think we should make the point though. And having said that, and we we're both Test match converts and yeah, we, we love test match cricket this has been the first game for a while that's really sort of gripped us and there have been lots of one-sided matches and lots of matches recently where a team takes control early on and nev- doesn't surrender control the other team you know is not strong enough to come back and, and, and challenge them this is the first time the game has you know for a while really fluctuated so when it's like this then yeah it's ab- absolutely gripping and you know other test matches have their fascination as well but this was this was almost the perfect test match we should emphasise the pitch had such an important part to play in that, the conditions, and that's what you need, that, that balance between bat and ball. And in fact, actually, if the ball is just dominating the bat, that makes it, I think, even better. Perhaps too many test matches occur where the, the bat is dominating the ball. So you know, well done again to the groundsman for providing that for us because it, it's been a, a, a really great test match. I mean, if we're being churlish... The only thing you could say is we didn't get down to sort of single figures, you know, six runs to win or eight runs to win or, or something like that, as happened at Edgbaston in 2005. But, you know, we can't complain. Even if India had won and gone on to win by two wickets, you say, you know, excellent, excellent game of cricket that held us throughout, really from the, from the first few overs of the match right to the last ball. Completely agree. And the pitch and also the, the Duke ball as well, which just does enough for bowlers to keep them interested all the time, which uh, which does really help and make it a, a more compelling contest and a, a proper balance between bat and ball. Well, there's not much time to catch our breath, just three days, and then it's all go again on Thursday. This is definitely going to be the series of the survival of the fittest, I think, and it, it's going to be tough for the quick bowlers to... You know, to keep going, and, and especially if in the, in the way that England bowl, in, the, in that uh, attritional sort of way, you know, these guys are going to get through a lot of overs in a short space of time. I just hope they can uh, put their feet up and, and get their uh, bodies on ice for a few days. I suppose they've got an extra day off. So England have gone one up uh, with four to play and will feel at least confident that they can overcome this powerful Indian team, which, of course, are number one in the world in their ICC rankings. But we all go again next Thursday at Lords. So we'll speak to you then. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.